Middle School Art Teacher Podcast, Episode 3. Hello, and welcome to the Middle School Art Teacher Podcast. This week's episode is going to be kind of an abbreviated version. We're not going to do the problem-solved segment. But I do have a lesson that I want to share with you. We're going to talk about some uh, some art news. And I've got a really great story that uh, that happened to me just yesterday. Um, I've said before that the, the Tales from the Classroom section will be for funny, embarrassing, or inspiring stories. And this one was greatly, greatly inspiring to me. And so I, I can't wait to share it. Um, but first, a, a little bit of podcast news. I have recently learned how to um, set this thing up so that as I'm talking about some artwork, if the, for those of you who have a video iPod um, or if you're listening at your computer in iTunes, then pictures will be displaying sort of like a slideshow uh, as, as I'm talking about what uh, I'm talking about the lesson. So I had breakfast with a couple buddies uh, a few days ago and we were talking about podcasting and this thing and that, and um, this was one of the things that came up. And so uh, I got interested in it and did a little research. And hopefully the next episode of Middle School Art Teacher Podcast will incorporate this slideshow technology. So looking forward to that. Uh, for now, let's go ahead and get right along to the lesson share. Alright, this week's lesson share again incorporate is a, it's a contour line activity um, like the week one uh, lesson was except that this one it incorporates some three-dimensional uh, or it, it is a three-dimensional project you use some you use wire to create a sculpture uh, whereas with the first step the first lesson that I shared with you guys the contour hands and the sign language shapes I did that with my uh, my regular 7th and 8th grade classes. This particular project I did with my um, advanced 8th uh, grade class and had some spectacular results. So uh, if you go to middleschoolartteacher.blogspot.com then you can see three examples of the finished project before uh, you hear me describe it so that could probably be pretty helpful. So. Uh, well, the, the final project is um, what amounts to, uh, I, I mean, I, I kind of call it a, a three-dimensional contour drawing. Um, it, it's, a, it's a wire sculpture that, um, that the kids based off of a drawing that they had done. So, um, you know, as with, as with the other lesson, we spent, you know, a couple of days in class you know, for these kids, they're, they're advanced 8th graders. They've had art uh, several times. So it was more of a review for them, um, uh, reinforcing the, uh, the contour drawing techniques, like the blind contour drawing and the partial blind and, uh, and things like that. So after some refreshing, we, uh, we went to our orchestra, uh, orchestra hall and sat and observed the kids uh, practicing their instruments and as they were uh, 
uh, practicing their cellos or their violins or whatever. My kids sat around the uh, the hall or sat around the uh, the walls there and picked a kid or two out and they just practiced doing contour drawings of that student. And so it was great. Uh, it was a great experience, a great opportunity for for my kids to practice drawing from observation. Um, they obviously get a, a lot of work uh, drawing by looking at a, a flat picture, but um, what our high school teachers are telling us that they really want us to emphasize is drawing from actual life. Um, and so we've been trying to emphasize that, and so the kids had a really good, uh, good opportunity there. And, you know, it was fun for the orchestra kids and their teachers as well because, you know, they kind of get to to show off a little bit what they're learning and, and how they're progressing. So after, um, we, we did that for two days. Uh, we uh, got some several drawings done the first day, and then before returning that second class, we... Uh, you know, we did a little bit of um, critiquing and sharing and looked at each other's examples and talked about how we might be able to improve um, on, on, what, on what they were doing. Uh, of course, you know, keeping in mind this whole time that this drawing is going to be turned into a wire sculpture. And so what that means is that um, the best way to do that is to imagine that, uh, you know, as soon as you put your pencil down, that's the beginning of the piece of wire that you're going to get and as you move it you know the, the the mark that you're making is going to be that wire that exists in three-dimensional space so what I encourage the kids to do is is as they were drawing don't you know don't don't lift the pencil once start at a point that you think is going to be effective whether that's the top of the head or if that's the scroll of the violin wherever you think um, it's going to be the best place to begin your mark start there work your way across the instrument across the body all the way down to the floor and that is going to be your final your final drawing and so um, and so after they had done uh, done those the first day like I said we did a little bit of critiquing went back the second day and um, you know, hopefully the kids had a, had a great drawing to work from, and most did. After they had that drawing um, complete, then they were each given, you know, I, I think it was about, um, you know, it was probably between about six feet, uh, between four and eight feet of eight to twelve gauge wire, which I got at Home Depot, and it was uh, very reasonably priced. Um, and so after all of the kids had worked and reworked their wire, to reflect the drawing that they made. We spray painted them. Um, some we spray painted black, some we spray painted white. We stapled them onto a small block of wood that we got from our uh, shop teacher. And there you see the final project, the final product. So uh, I hope you tried this out in your classroom. And if you do and have some examples, please leave me a comment uh, at middleschoolartteacher.blogspot.com or Send me an email at middleschoolartteacher at gmail.com. And now it's time for Tales from the Classroom. Alright, I told you that I had a uh, great... Uh, and a story to share this week from Tales from the Classroom. And 
It involves a, a student that I had in class last year, and he he is by no means a a, a great um, academic student. He's a special ed student, and he has a lot of uh, difficulty with with reading and writing and math and science. And um, you know, I'm not exactly sure, you know, what grade level he's uh, reading and writing on. But um, he's an eighth grader this year, and uh, I, I don't have him in class. But you know, we've um, he comes by my classroom and visits me, or uh, he has a you know his resource uh, math and resource language arts classrooms are are just a few doors down from me, so I see him um, all the time as I'm uh, out on hall duty. But on Monday and Tuesday, we were doing practice tax testing in our building. That's the standardized test here in Texas. And I wasn't administering the test. I was a relief worker. And on Tuesday, one of the classrooms that I went to relieve the teacher in was the class that, that this guy was in. And so... Uh, you know, they had already finished their test. It was a little bit after lunch. They had already all finished, and so they were, you know, uh, you know, doing homework or playing games or something like that. And uh, so I sat down and I was talking to to this guy and uh, one of his friends, and I had a book and a notebook with me, and they were asking, you know, what what was in it and what was I reading and everything. And the reason I had it with me was because uh, the series of paintings that I've been doing. Um, on my own time at home are based off of essays or, or books that I've been reading and have been inspired by and so uh, you know after I read a particular piece then I um, I think of a way that I can express it visually in a painting and, and that's what I've been up to so I explained that to them and they wanted to let, know a little bit more about it and you know what what was I uh, writing about or reading about right now and it happened to be a selection at the uh, at the very end of the essay Higher Laws by uh, Henry David Thoreau in Walden and uh, they were really really interested in uh, you know what it what it uh, what it said and and what I thought about it and of course you know I'm thinking um, you know these these guys they just got through taking a, a standardized test that what that's modified you know for them um, several grades below um, you know eighth grade I'm not exactly sure, you know, what what level, like I said, that that they're on, um, but I, I know that it's not eighth grade, and I also know that Walden is, you know, <laughs> written at a at a uh, a level much higher than that. So, um, but they had taken a uh, particular interest in it, you know. I think because I, it was just the three of us, you know, that I was sitting down talking to them, and, um, you know, because there was a personal a personal connection there, uh, you know they were they were interested in it. So I decided to read them, uh, to read them this the ending part of of this particular essay, and let me read it to you. Keeping in mind that these kids, like I said, are well below eighth grade level. Um, John Farmer sat at his door one September evening after a hard day's work, his mind still running on his labor more or less. Having bathed, he sat down to recreate his intellectual man. It was a rather cool evening, and some of his neighbors were apprehending a frost. He had not attended to the train of his thoughts long when he heard someone playing on a flute, and that sound harmonized with his mood. Still he thought of his work, but the burden of his thought was that though this kept running in his head, and he found himself planning and contriving it against his will, yet it concerned him very little. 
It was no more than the scurf of his skin, which was constantly shuffled off. But the notes of the flute came home to his ears, out of a different sphere from that he worked in, and suggested work for certain faculties which slumbered in him. They gently did away with the street and the village and the state in which he lived. A voice said to him, Why do you stay here and live this mean, moiling life? When a glorious existence is possible for you, those same stars twinkle over other fields than these. But how to come out of this condition and actually migrate thither? All that he could think of was to practice some new austerity, to let his mind descend into his body and redeem it, and treat himself with ever-increasing respect. So as I was reading it to them, you know, every uh, couple of sentences I would, a uh, couple of sentences I would stop and and ask them if they really understood uh, what he was saying, and they really did. They really got it. Uh, you know, when he says that, when he refers to the flute and how it harmonized with John Farmer's mood, I asked them what they meant, and um, uh, and they they knew exactly what it was, and they, you know, with these great uh gestures they said you know it, it it calmed him it connected with him you know and he's you know he's sitting down and trying to to uh meditate and relax at the end of his at the end of his work day and this this song it's it's uh it's right there with him and they really got it and they wanted to to know what austerity meant and they wanted to talk about treating uh treating yourself with respect you know they hear so much about treating other people with respect but we talked about what it meant to treat yourself with respect, um, and and these different spheres that he's talking about, you know, what is what is the the existence of of living in work, and then the existence of sitting down to recreate uh, your intellectual person. Um, these are different spheres of existence, and these guys wanted to talk about it, and they really got it, and they were able to to share, uh, and it was just so cool and so inspiring. So I was really grateful to uh, to have had that experience with those guys. So that'll do it for this week's uh, Tales from the Classroom. Let's see what the snobs in the art world are up to. And finally, there is an article in the November 27th issue of Time. It's the it's the issue that has the Pope um, on the cover talking about his uh, his trip to Turkey, I believe. Um, but it's the November 27th uh, issue, and there's an article called The Great China Sale. And the whole thing is just about the boom in the contemporary art market in China um, and how there are all these living uh, contemporary artists who only a few years ago you know, would sell... Um, a piece for maybe a couple thousand dollars just a few years later now they're going for fifty sixty seventy thousand um, dollars some are even going for upwards of a million dollars and it's uh, it's all a, a result of um, all these newly minted millionaires in China that uh, as the article mentions have have no other place to to put their cash so I'll just read you this this little quote um, from an art, from a gallery owner, he says, "It's what I call the panic of new money. The government is killing the property market. The stock market has been up and down like a bouncing ball, and people don't trust it. They can only buy so many Mercedes. They have to put their money somewhere, and right now that means contemporary art. 
So I just think that is really, really interesting. Um, and they have a couple of, uh, of pieces in the article. And I've placed a link to the online version at the, uh, at the blog uh, address. So you can, uh, you can click through there and, and see a couple of images. And they're, they're pretty interesting. Um, they're very interesting. But, um, you know, because of all this interest, uh, a couple of big-name British collectors are getting in uh, on the contemporary um, Chinese art market, which is, of course, you know, just um, causing even more uh, interest and, and more money to flow in. So it looks really good for, for Chinese artists, um, but not everybody uh, is happy about it. And, and here's another quote um, from, a, from another collector in, in China. He says that modern art in China has become a monster. People's attention is no longer focused on the art itself, but on what kind of return they will get on their investment, just like in the stock market. So I thought that was kind of interesting that those two, uh, those two quotes are there almost side by side. Uh, whereas you have one person saying that people don't trust the stock market, so they want to put their money in something that's, um, that's a little bit more uh, trustworthy or stable. And then you have another guy who's saying that they're, they're, treating, um, they're treating these artworks exactly like they would some stocks. Um, and so both appear to be right. I guess uh, it just will to be a matter of waiting around for 10 years to see if these people who are buying up artwork uh, for, you know, 200000 to a million dollars or or however much they're paying for a particular piece. We'll see if it's a, if it's a good return. Uh, in the meantime, uh, you know, it's good for those artists and, uh, you know, always good for, uh, for artists everywhere when people are uh, paying attention and, and willing to, to look at art as an investment and to support living artists. So take a look at, those, uh, at that link, at those images, and I hope you enjoy the article. Until next week, I will see you later. This has been a podcast of Middle School Art Teacher. Be sure to visit us on the web at middleschoolartteacher.blogspot.com.